And if you open your Bibles in the book of 2 Samuel, book of 2 Samuel, and tonight, as we make our journey through the book of 2 Samuel, we are coming to our last lesson in the book of 2 Samuel. You're like, well, it's been, I think it's been a great journey, don't you think? I, I personally learned a lot of stuff from it. I did. I don't know if you learned anything, but I did learn something myself. <laughs> All right, let's look at verse 1 right there of 2 Samuel chapter 24. Look what it says. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now throughout all the tribes of Israel, from then even into Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God had unto thee people, how may so it they be, and a hundredfold, that, the, uh, that uh, I'm sorry, that, and that the eyes of my lord the king may see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding the king's word prevail against Joab, and again the captain of the host, and Joab the captain of the host even out, I'm sorry, went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. Lord, it's been a great journey to the book of 2 Samuel. And Lord, next week we're looking forward to start on 1 Kings. But today, Lord, we come to this, the conclusion of this book. It's been a great book. Many lessons we took out of this book. And Lord, I pray, Father, that tonight uh, you give us something, Lord, we can take home. We can apply to our lives and make a difference, Lord, in the world that we live in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So tonight is, the journey through the Bible tonight is, I made a big mistake. Now, let me ask you this. Did you ever make big, a big mistake? I never made mistakes. <laughs> I knew I was going to get a reaction. You know, I never made a mistake. <laughs> of course, I have many of them. Some big, some very big. <laughs> I remember one time, I was, what a great mistake. Yeah, but the Lord was good after that. But at the time, it was a mistake. So I went to this dealer looking for cars. And I'm looking around, and before I know, I'm driving out of the dealership with the car. Then, two, three days later, oh, well, did I regret that one. <laughs> like, this was, this was bad. This was a mistake. But I believe tonight that nobody makes mistakes here, right? Nobody makes big mistakes. Of course we make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. We all make mistakes. So tonight we come to the last message in our study in the book of 2 Samuel. I, have, I believe it's been a great journey, to be serious with you. I believe we learned so many things from it, and we continue to learn. So it's a great book. So it is a book rich in Bible stories on which the actors are real people. They're not just stories. We have to understand when we read those stories, they were real people who lived those stories. Imagine if your life and mine would be written in the Bible, in the stories of our life written in the Bible. Uh, I don't think God tried to humiliate these people. It's just there for our learning, so we can learn from their mistakes and, and their examples, so we can be better people, better Christians. So it is a book, like I said, rich in Bible stories on which the actors are real people. They were not professional uh, but just regular people just like me and you. Now, all of us like to come to the end of a book, and then, and, uh, you know, when you read a book, you know, if you read any book, you like to come to the end of the book and uh, finish well, right? So the, the prince married the princess, and then they got a beautiful horse and a palace, and everything is so wonderful. That's the way we want the stories to end, you know. We don't want stories to end in a bad thing. I remember we went to see... Um, uh, I forgot what was that show that they were playing. But anyway, uh, it, it, we went to the... Oh, I forgot what it was. But anyway, I'll tell you when I remember. Uh, but uh, it, it, it finished so sad, and everybody in the place going, oh. You don't expect that. You expect like a good... And even a movie, right? You expect a good ending. Uh, while you look at the book of Second Samuel, it doesn't finish like... Wow, <laughs> even it with sin right here in the last chapter. 
So it's not like, oh, nice book, nice chapter. Let's move to the next chapter. You know, it's like something. I was, I was thinking about this uh, as I was looking at this lesson tonight. I was thinking about this. You know what? It's the story of many people's lives. If you compare the story of people's lives to a book, you know, it is a beginning, it's an introduction of a person to this world. Then it's each chapter in that person's life, you know, each chapter goes on. But and then it comes, the book comes to an end. That's the end of the story. Close the book. That person's life is over. Not everybody finish well. Not everybody finish well. Some people actually finish very bad. But, you know, as the choices that they make. But that's why like, it's, it's good to know the Lord. It's good to be saved. It's good to know we're going to heaven. You know, and put our eyes on the Lord. Because, you know what, when life is over, the book is closed. I'm going home. You finish well. So, the book ends with the reality of sin and what sin can do and what we are capable of, don't matter on which stage of life you and I may be. A sinner is always a sinner and always capable of doing the unthinkable. Some people think like, you know, uh, David is quite old right here. Some people think the older you get, the less of a sinner you become. I did a study on this thing. So when we were first Baptist, there was a, a man that he's with the Lord today. He was in his 90s. <laughs> so we approached him, Mr. Kinstead. We went to him. He said, Mr. Kinstead. It was me and a couple other folks. Do you still have temptations? And he looks at us and he just starts laughing. And he says, every day. <laughs> every day. So anyway. Uh, you know, I'll give you a funny story, nothing to do with our lesson, but it was one time uh, Mr. Kinstad used to sit in the one side of the church, and this lady used to sit in the other side of the church. And everybody looked like they were the same age. They were single. So we tried, like, oh, Mr. Kinstad, Mr. Kinstad, why don't you go invite that lady to go out with you? Maybe you need some companion. He looks at me and he laughs. And I said, what's so funny? He said, she's my sister. I said, that's it. I ain't sitting out anymore. I am so sorry. What a lesson that I learned that day. <laughs> hey, both are in heaven with the Lord today. So anyway. So the, <laughs> so the book ends with the reality of sin here. David is quite old right here. But it ends with that reality. A sinner, like I said, is always a sinner. And always capable of doing the unthinkable. David was a man after God's own heart. We know that. The sweet psalmist of Israel. But David made quite a few or big mistakes in his life. And tonight we see another one of his big mistakes. When we survey the life of David, we often think that of him in terms of his sin with Bathsheba. Oh, yeah, David and Bathsheba. And, this, and, others, other, and, and, and of course, the murder of Uriah the, the Hittite. But most of us wouldn't pinpoint to one event in time and, David, and David's life and declare that it was, it was his low point. He had, had many low points through his life. But the text before us finds David in another period of low point or sin. Same thing with all of us. We say, you know, you know what, we have to always be on guard because when we think even in the midst of a victory, we can fall into sin. So we have to be always on guard with our eyes on the Lord, always watching the enemy because he's always around us because that's what he wants. He wants to destroy us. So, we might think that, as we, like I said, as we grow older, things get a little, get a little easier. That we will be, can handle sin much better than we did when we were young. No, when we get older, you just get different types of sin. But sin is still sin, a sin like anybody else. So the sins that tempt you today may not tempt you when you get, you get to a certain age. Uh, but I'm certain that you will have a bunch of other sins there ready for you, and, and, and you will be weak to something. So what we got to do? we got to be strong. we got to be on guard so we don't fall into those things. So I would like us to spend a little time in this passage tonight as we look at this lesson, at the lessons that, we, that are taught in this passage here. We can see how, uh, how to handle our sin when it, comes to, uh, when, it, when it comes calling us. So let's take a, a little time tonight. And look at these verses and consider, I made a big mistake. Have you ever been there? I made a big mistake. Oh, my. How many times you made the same mistake twice? And you said, I can't believe I did it again. 
Then you did it, do it three times, and he goes, this is not good. So, a big mistake from several points tonight. Letter A, or number one, a tragic mistake. For sure, we all make mistakes, some big, some small, but we all make mistakes. By the way, I never met one perfect person that never made a mistake. You know, my dad never made mistakes. Sometimes we used to say, Dad, just say you're wrong. Just say I'm sorry. Sorry for what? <laughs> With that straight face, he would say that. He wouldn't, you know, he was not a man of much talking. But he would say, sorry for what? Oh, Dad, just say you made a mistake. Just say you're sorry. No, he would never say it. But we, I mean, he knew he was wrong. But he would never admit it. So some people, they're perfect. They never admit their mistakes. Doesn't mean that they don't do it. But they do it. So, they might tell you that they don't make mistakes, but they will be, they will, it would be silly for you to actually believe in such a person that they never make mistakes. Sometimes we think so-and-so and so-and-so, they're perfect. They never make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. So now, not all of us, not all of us, uh, uh, not, uh, I'm sorry, not all, all of our mistakes are sinful. We just make mistakes from time to time. But some of them are sinful. Otherwise, it's just a mistake that we make. For example, if you add in your math, 10 plus 10 is 30, it doesn't mean that you're sinning, you just made a mistake. Correct? Okay. <laughs> That's what we see here in the actions of David tonight. Sin is always, folks, let me put it this way, sin is always a tragedy. Sin, a little sin can lead to big sin, and a big sin can lead to greater sin, and is a tragedy. So sin is always a tragedy. Sometimes, uh, sometimes people uh, are uh, overcome by evil and fall like, like an animal trap in the, in the ways of sin. That's why we need to be careful. So we can't emphasize, uh, uh, we can't emphasize with that kind of sin here because we all sin here. We all sinners here. But at, uh, at other times, people walk into sin with their eyes wide open and with their mind wide open and they don't care. They literally, they enjoy in their sin. No, let's look here, letter A. It was a sin of anger. Go to, now the, go to the first chapter right there. Let, look what it says right there in, in, so you can understand what I'm saying here. Look what it says. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against whom? Israel. And he moved, he moved David. See what it says? And he moved David. Where was I? Okay, okay. Uh, and he moved David against, against them, them whom? Israel, to say, go number Israel and Judah. Wow. Is God tempt us to do evil? No. Why God put that in David's heart? Good. I'm glad what you said. Let's, let's read it again. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go and number Israel and Judah. If we say that he tempted David to do so, that the, the Lord tempts us to do evil? No, no. Let's, let's, let's dissect this verse a little bit. We are told very clearly that God was angry with Israel, correct? He was angry for whatever sin. So we are told that God moved David to be against them as well. In the first Chronicles 21 is a parallel passage of this in verse 1. And that text we are told, look what it says. Uh, uh, 1 Chronicles 21 one says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. The Bible is not contradicting itself right here, okay? So in, in this sense, Satan was used by the Lord as the agent of chastisement right here. So God used Satan to move David to do what was already in David's heart. You follow that? Sometimes, you know what? We already have the thought in our minds. We already have the inclination in our minds and our hearts. And it just takes just a little thing. And there we go. Do you ever been in like in a, in a uh, let's say, an amusement park and, and you're right there, you want to slide down, but you don't want to go because you're afraid. And you try to go and you're like, eh, I'm not going. And somebody just going, mm, tapped you. Just a little touch. There you go. Boom. As I happen to send sometimes. We, the thought is in our minds and hearts. We just, mm, back and forth, and just needs a little, and there we go. 
That's what happened to David here. So, we are not told, but I would like to suggest a few reasons here of why God was mad of Israel. It may have been the fact that they follow Absalom when he rebelled against David. It might have been that the majority of Israel went after Sheba, 2 Samuel chapter 20. It might have been that their hearts were lifted up with pride over their victory, 2 Samuel 23. We are told time and time again in that passage that the Lord gave the victory, but Israel might have to come to believe it about them and not about that they had the victory themselves. So God is the one who was working through them. So whatever the reason, God was angry with them and allowed Satan to tempt David, and David, in his anger, sinned by numbering the people. Now, is anything wrong with censors? We do that in our country all the time. Is anything wrong with that? I don't see anything wrong with that. It was the way it was done. That's the wrong, uh, wrong of it. It was the way that it was done. So I will admit, I admit that I do not fully understand all, all what's going on right here, but I do know this. You had better be careful when you are angry. When you make mistakes, when you are angry, then you will want to take back later the words that you want to take back later. So sometimes when you are angry, what happens? You say things that you don't mean. You say words that you want to take back. It happens to all of us. All been there said, I wish I didn't say that. I wish I didn't say this. I wish I didn't. You know, when we're angry. You see, we here we see that Joab confronts David, but David's not going to budge at Joab. He just said, do what I'm telling you, telling you to do. So the Bible cautions us allowing anger to take hold in our hearts. Actually, the Bible says, Ephesians 4, 4.26, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Verse 27. So, and also, letter B, it was a sin of arrogance. Look at verse 2. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host, which was with him, Go now throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. Now you might wonder, what is wrong, like I said, with censors? Good question. Maybe David was getting ready to go to war against uh, some neighboring uh, country, maybe he wanted to see how many people he had on this command, so that he could uh, uh, struck around with his pride a little bit. The fact is, David is acting in pride, and God resists prideful people. The Bible says that God resists the proud, proud, and gives what grace to the humble. So whatever we, when whatever is all of us here, we can learn from this. Whenever we act in pride, God's not happy. God's not happy with that. So pride is always the root of many sin. It was the root of the first sin, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Since, uh, pride says, I know better than God, and I can do as I please. That's what pride says. Yeah, I tell you the story one time about a man, his name, I forgot his name. Oh, he was working with me, 71 years old. I witnessed to him right in the job. And he looks at me and he said to me, I don't need your gods. I am my own gods. That's pride. That is pride. I look at him, I said, I will talk about this some more. But he, he just, he was just, his face was like, you could see full of anger. But his words were full of pride. To even to say, I am my own God. But that that was came came out of his mouth. So our pride, of course, separates from our God and from others. So let us see. Uh, it was a sin of aggression. Look at verse three, verse four. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God had unto the people how many sores they be, and a hundredfold, and that the eyes of my lord the king may see it. But why do my lord the king delight in this in this thing? Joab tried to. Stop him and say, Lord, why you want this? God gives you everything you need. Why you want this thing right now? And look what it says in verse 4. Now it's standing that kings would prevail against Joab. Can you imagine how high that conversation became or, or, or how loud it became? You do what I'm telling you to do. I don't want you to talk to me. Go do it. Oh, I can imagine. 
So and Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. So it was no use. That's what he wanted to be, and that's what Joab was going to do. So when Joab hears the king's order, he stands up to David and says, what, what are you doing? So what are you doing? Maybe they knew each other pretty well, I guess. You know, he's one of his generals. They have many conversations together. It's like, you know, well, what do you do? Why are you doing this? God has always made the people of Israel appear to be hundreds times stronger than they, actu than they actually are, and the enemies can't even keep up with them. Why do you want to name number the people? See, we are people of faith, folks, and we should just do like we have always done and trust the Lord. That it is good advice, but, but kings always prevail over generals, and David's order stood. Let me put it like this. How many times you and I had somebody that told you or me and said, why are you doing this? Why are you going this way? And we don't listen. We say, you know what, that's the way I'm going to do it. They have the truth. They're telling you, they're trying to help you, but we don't want to listen. So we tell them, do what I, the way I said it, or I'm going to do the way I said it, and we go and do it. We don't listen to godly counsel. Especially when it's good counseling. Let me put it this way. I've been there, on which I don't listen to godly counsel. You've been there? I believe all of us have been there. That's why we see in the end, oh, what a mistake that I made. I should listen to so-and-so back there. So get this. There are times that we get in trouble because we will not stop to listen to the good advice of others. People who love us will warn us that we are headed down the wrong way, the wrong road. The Word of God warns us as well. That's why it's important to read it. God's Word warns us over and over again. That's why it was written for you and me. It's God's letters for you, God's letters for me. It doesn't take much. You know, sometimes, you know, when we read the Bible, we shouldn't, we shouldn't say, so-and-so needs to read this passage. No, it's you. It's you that needs to read the passage. It's me. So the Word of God is, is, a, a, is full of warnings there for us because God loves us. So action and like that can only end in disasters when we don't listen to good advice, when we don't listen to God's Word, and we do what we want to do. Look what it says in Proverbs 16.25. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. I mean, things look good in our eyes all the time. They said, I'm going this way because if somebody says, stop, don't go that way, don't go that way, I'm going this way, and well, there we go ourselves. So number one, we see a tragic mistake. Number two, a sorrowful reaction. People say, is my prerogative, isn't actually, there's a song out there that goes like that, I do what I want to do with my life. What a mistake when we do that. When we say that, it's my prerogative. I do what I want to do with my life. No, no, no. Give your life to God. And let God guide you through this life. You will be more joyful by doing that. More joyful. What they fail to see is that they, their wrongdoing affects others as well too. Listen, folks. Let me put it this way. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't. I didn't have a Bible around me. I was already married and two kids when, when I got saved. But let me tell you. I'm so glad I got saved. I am. I am so glad that I got saved. You know what? When people say, it's my prerogative, I did what I wanted to do. I did. You know what? Today I told people, you don't want to go there. There's nothing good there. You say, but there's a lot of good people out there. Yeah, there's a lot of good people. You know what? But they, they, when they fall into sorrowful times and painful times, they have no one to run to. Letter A, we see conviction. Look at verse 10. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. You see that? Here's David. He gets moved. Something he had in his heart already. And he tells Joab to go, move, to go number the people. Joab questioned him. Why you want to do that? He tell him, you don't talk to me. You just don't do what I told you. And Joab and the other people, they go and number the people. And, you know, he gets the numbers back. And when he's in his pride and stuff, and when he comes to the end of himself, it hits him hard. Now what happened to us when we make a mistake? 
when it hits us hard, we go, oh, what the world I did this for. You see, look what it says in the verse. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech you, thee, O Lord, that take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very, look what it says, foolishly. He admits there was a foolish thing. Did you ever say that? I mean, I have said that many times. Oh, that was a foolish mistake. And you go on two, three days regretting it. It's like a painful thing. You're like, oh, my. I can't. And everything, every time it comes to mind, you're still regretting it. Like, wow. Look, it says right here, it says, it says that he, 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 he have done foolishly. Like David is, is caught to the heart right here. You see the conviction, see, 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 as soon as David gets the report from Joab and begins to study, he realizes that he made a big mistake. He confesses his failure and asks God for forgiveness. I tell you, folks, isn't that wonderful that we have a, a God that we ask for forgiveness? Isn't that wonderful? So we made a big mistake. So we make a big mess. So we made a big boo-boo over there. So we, you know, we got the, the, the paper full of ink over here. You know, whatever that is, you know, you know in the end, we have the Lord. Lord, please forgive me. That was foolish. I've done wrong. Please forgive me. I, I put it like this. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let that sin get big. Just keep short accounts with Him. So conviction tore His heart apart. Conviction is one of the most amazing things about being saved to me. When I sin, it does not take all day for me to do something about it. As soon as I think about, uh, 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 or the thoughts finish, or the deed is done, I feel that conviction in my heart. I'm just sharing with you tonight. And, you know, you just want to make peace with God and say, Lord, I have done wrong. I have sinned against you. So God speaks to His children and let them know that, that what they have done is wrong. You can see this in John chapter 16, verse 7 to 13. This conviction is the first step in the process of drawing a wayward child home, Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. So conviction hurts, but we should praise the Lord for it. It is one of the greatest assurance of salvation you possess. You are convicted. You're caught to the heart, and you don't have peace until you are. Talk to God. That's one of the greatest assurance that we are saved. Because sometimes, you know, when people are not saved, they're like, oh, you made a mistake. I know you go on and just forget about it. Well, now with the Lord, it just cuts our heart when we know we have done wrong. And we, we go to Him and we talk to Him, but our heart is cut because we know we offended Him. Let it be the trauma of the choices. Look at verse 11 and 12. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came unto the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I, I offer thee three things. Choose thee uh, one of them, that I may do it unto thee. You see? Here's what we need to know here. Okay? I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I sinned against the Lord. I confess my sin. Everything is good. We forgot one thing. Consequences. We've got to reap it. Sometimes they're little, but sometimes they're hard. David sinned against the Lord right here. David knew that he's been forgiven. But here comes the prophet Gad. He's going to give him the news. Look what it says there. The very next day, like I said, Gad comes to David and presents a strange message from the Lord. God allows David to choose as punishment. And that, God even, go tell David what he wants. <laughs> That's interesting. God, you know, go to, he, is, he offered him three choices. The nation can experience seven years of famine. Israel's enemies can have victory over them for three months. Israel can face three days of pestilence. Look at verse 12 and verse 13. Go and say unto David, Thou saith the Lord, I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad uh, came to David and told him and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee and, and thy land? Or, uh, uh, or wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee? 
or that uh, there be uh, three days of pestilence in thy land. Now advise and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. It's not like a suggestion. It was a coming. It's coming. You tell me what do you want so I can go back to the Lord and tell him what you said. You know, like, you know, uh, but don't take too long to think because it's going to come. David doesn't know what to do. What would you do? Now, if you were David right there, what would you do? It's nice to look at the story. Already, we already know the, you know, the, the following verses. What about if, if you were there? What would you do? What would you say to the Lord? Let's see. The nation can experience seven years of famine. That's a long time. You've got to put the pancakes and everything else in the freezer before, you know, for seven years. That's a long time. So Israel's enemy can have victory over three months. Ugh. That's a hard one. Israel can face three days of pestilence. A lot of people can die with that. See, you know, it's hard, those things right here. So regardless of the choice David made, the people of Israel was going to suffer terrible. Regardless of the three choices, people are going to suffer. Either way. And David knew that, like, you know, what am I going to do here? So that he trusted himself and, and his nation to the grace of God. Let me tell you this. He makes the wise decision and places the fate of Israel in the hands of the Lord. Look at verse 14. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. He said, I don't know. Literally, he says to you and me, he's like, hey, Gad, I don't know what to do. Either way, I'm going to do this. A lot of people are going to die. A lot of people are going to suffer. I don't know how to choose. And look what he says. What are words right here? He says, let us fall unto the hands of the Lord. Why? For his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hands of men. David right here says, I know I did wrong. I've been forgiven. I know what God says, but I want to fall in his hands because I know in his hands there is mercy. David had rather fall in the hands of a just, holy, gracious God than in the hands of sinful men. When Jesus fell in the hands of sinful men, what they did to Jesus? They nailed him in a cross. God does not offer us such choices today. I thank God that he does not. But he has already warned us of our sin, that our sin have consequences. Sin have consequences, always. And some people say, well, some people get away with this and they die. Nobody ever know what they did. There's a judge on the other side. There's a judge on the other side. Go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7 for a second. Then keep your finger there in our text. I'll wait for you a little bit. Galatians 6, 7. Look what it says. There's a warning there. Be not deceived. It says, don't deceive yourselves. Literally, that's what it says. Do not deceive yourselves. God is not mocked. For whatsoever men sow it, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh, of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth of the, to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So God says right here, don't deceive yourself. Whatever you, you, you sow, I mean, whatever you, uh, yeah, Whatever you, uh, you sow, you will reap it. It's not like, you know, if you put beans in the ground, you're not going to get corn. You're going to get beans. Same thing. You know, we sin against God, we're going to get the consequences of it. So let us see, see the trauma of chastisement. The trauma of chastisement. Go back to our text here. Uh, so 2 Samuel 24, look at verse 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel. No, that was not David's choice right here. David said, I fall into the hands of a merciful God. And God says, and I'm going to do it. Look what it says. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed. And there died of the people from then even to Bathsheba 70,000 men. Wow. It must have been, I tell you folks, it must have been a great, great sin to come to the Lord to, to come to do what he did. And look at verse 16. And when the angel stretched out his hands upon Israel to destroy it, the Lord repent him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now, uh, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the 
the trashing place of our river, our not the Juba, the Juba side. So the so God sends some sort of a plague upon the people, and seventy thousand died in three days. Imagine the grief and the shock as seventy thousand people die. Seventy thousand families are plagued with grief there. Can you imagine the cry throughout the land of Israel of all this? Why? Because one man committed a sin of his pride. He just went and met, uh, na- uh, numbered the people. I believe that this passage shows uh, should be a warning for all of us here. You never know what the outcome of our sin will be. We never know. You know, sin is pleasant for a season. Then when we indulge in the sin, everything is wonderful. We never measure the consequences of it when we start here. How many people do start that way? And they never measure the consequences when we get there. I remember one of our mayors, I'm not going to say the name, and they asked him, when a journalist asked him, he said, so, what did drive you to do that? He said, I only took one time. I took. And that time when I took, I justified it, and I got away with it. And I saw how easy it was, and I kept doing it. Kept doing it. And he continued to enjoy his sin until he what? He got caught. Then he got caught. So sin will come, and in the consequences will show up. Get this. Know what you sow, so you, don't, you won't weep when you reap. You follow that? Let me repeat that. Know what you sow, so you won't weep when you reap. I don't know about you, but I would much rather influence people and point them towards God than I had to drive them away from Him because of my sin. I don't want to have drive people away because of my sin. But let me tell you, I think this is a very sobering statement. Know what you sow so you won't weep when you reap. Here's what we need to remember. Sin always has consequences. Sometimes they affect just the sinner, and, some, and other times they affect those around us as well. Either way, when we sin, we can be sure that chastisement is not far behind. The Lord might be merciful for a time, but I tell you what, how long the Lord would allow our sin to keep going on? Look what it says in Hebrews 12, 6. For whom the Lord what? loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. God loves you too much, or more than you can love yourself, and you will not let us keep on going in the ways of sin. Sometimes we're stubborn. The Lord corrects us, and we in our stubbornness keep on going, suffering with the sin that we continue to be hard-head to and then keep wanting to, to keep doing it. Number three, a commendable example. Even at the lowest, at his lowest, David still had something to teach us about walking with God. His sin and his recovery from, from it has something to teach us about dealing with our own sin. And that's why doing a study in the life of David is wonderful because we see over and over again about a man that had a heart after God. I mean, did he make mistakes? Many mistakes. But you know what? This man had a heart for God. Same thing for us. Should encourage us. We're not perfect. We make mistakes all the time. But you know what? But you know what? But if we have a heart for God, that's what counts. We ask forgiveness and we go on. Letter A, it teaches about confession. Look at verse 17. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people and said, Lo, I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. You see, you see the, the, you see the heart of David right here. He sees what's going on. He sees the angel bringing judgment. And he says to the Lord, No, stop, Lord. Do it unto me. Don't do it to them. Do it to me in my house. This is why David is called a man after God's own heart. David could sin, and he could sin big, but he could not stay in that condition. He had to find that the people uh, of uh, that the place of repentance before the Lord. I'll tell you what. Can you imagine to come to a point to say that, and he's seeing what's going on, the destroying what's going on there. For him to say that, Lord, do, do it to me, not to him. I remember when I was. Dealing with cancer. 
I, I remember those days. I was going to, terap- uh, to, to chemo and radiation. It was not funny days to be, be go through. It was not funny. It was very painful days. And I remember my mother came over to my house. And my mother, of course, my dad died of cancer. And she was torn apart on that. And uh, she looks at me and she's crying and she hugged me. And she said, if I can only take what you have, I would take it right now. I, cannot, I did not understand the heart of my mom. I did not. But I never forgot those words. That's David right here. He looks at the Lord. So, Lord, don't do that to them. Do it to me. Whatever it is, do it to me and my family. That is a lesson that we all need to get hold on today. Would you say to a person, I'll take it if I could. If I could take it, I'd take everything on me. That's what David is asking the Lord right here. Yes, we will sin, and yes, sometimes we will sin big. When we do, our natural tendency is to try to hide that sin away and pretend that it did not take place. God's way is different. God expects us to confess it and forsake it. Our way is to cover. God's way said confess it, forsake it. Look what it says in Proverbs 28, 13. that covered his sins shall not prosper. But who's confessed it and forsake it, then shall have mercy. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let it be. It teaches about contradiction. Look at verse 17. And David spake unto the Lord, and when he saw the angel, then smote the people, and lo, he said, I have sinned, I have done this, done wickedly. But the, the, these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. So not only did David did confess his sins, but he took all the blame upon himself. He goes to the Lord and he says, I did it, Lord. I should be the one paying for it. David can only say this because his pride was shattered. He does not care about how many soldiers he has anymore. He doesn't care about the past victories. Now David can't, uh, can't see that his, the sins are, his sin is hurting people. And he said, Lord, stop this. Do it to me. And I believe this is where the Lord wants us to go, to the end of ourselves. When we come to the end of ourselves and we really put our heart to God, that's what God says, that's what I want you, my child. David is right there in the bottom. He was just putting his heart to God, and God knew that he was being genuine with him. I tell you this, when we get honest about sin, we will stop making excuses about our sin. We will stop playing games. We will stop pointing fingers. We will stop hiding in the shadows. It's not someone else's fault. We are guilty, and we are the ones who need forgiveness. When we get honest, we, we will come out and deal with our sin by forsaking it and by dealing with the consequences that sin brought into our lives. When we get to the point, God can bless us and forgive us and restore us. I love that story of the prodigal son. What he did, he did. He took his father as inheritance and he went and he spent it in riots and all kinds of sinful living. He was dead pretty much. And the father was at the door waiting for his son. And when that son came to the end, to the end of himself, when he realized how low he, he went, he looked towards home. And he went home. And the father saw that he hit bottom. And there, the father embraced him and kissed him and restored him. Isn't that what the Lord does to us? When we sin and when we come to the Lord and we come with an open heart and we sometimes share tears or sometimes we just talk for a long time with the Lord. We just put it out, our hearts to the Lord. And the Lord just then embraces us and kisses us, hugs us and says, Child, I love you. And He restores us to fellowship with Him. Let us see. It teaches about costliness. 
Look what it says in verse 18. And Gad came in that day to David, said unto him, Go up, re up an altar unto the Lord and a threshing floor. And look at verse, uh, uh, go down here, go 19. And, and David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And of course, we know the story here. For the sake of time, I'm just going to skip those verses all the way to verse 25. And uh, we see that uh, David is buying a trashing floor here. He doesn't want it for free. He wants to buy it. So David is told to go to a certain trashing floor and make a sacrifice. David does, does what uh, does and does. And when he, the owner of the trashing floor offers to give the place to David, David refuses. David knows the real worship is costly. He knows that getting things fixed up with the Lord carries a big price. He buys the threshing floor uh, and the oxen. He builds an altar and he offers a sacrifice. God is pleased and all is well again. What, what is the lesson here? Faith is like a threshing floor, folks. It wins, it, it, it wins now uh, out of everything from our lives that is not pleasing to the Lord. It cleanses up and, and, and if it is follow and obeyed. So by faith that costs you nothing if, I'm sorry, but faith that, that, that costs you nothing is not faith at all. Faith costs us something. For an example. All right. Let me simplify this. All right. I said faith costs us something. All right. So Sunday morning, you work all week. You're sleeping. I'm going to church. Your body says to you, you don't want to go to church. Just lay and sleep another hour. <laughs> and then you roll to the other side. You know, but faith gets up. And faith gets dressed, and faith gets to church. It costs us something, you know. So you were going to give a tract to somebody. Are we at our church? Have five a week. Here you go, and you're sweating, and you're trembling, and your voice is shaking. And you go to somebody and say, "Would you, would you, would you take this?" And a person looks at you. Are you okay? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. And you and you give them, and you run as fast. No, in fact, you, you know, faith causes us to take it out and say, I'd like you to have this. Would you like to read this? Whenever you have a chance, you want to read this? We, I would love for you to have this. You see, faith causes us to stand up, go out of our comfort zone, and do something that otherwise we'll never do. So faith causes something, doesn't it? See, my faith says, lay one hour. I mean, my faithless says, lay one hour. My faithless says, ah, oh, don't bother with that, people. They don't want to hear it. But faith causes us to do something. That's what David here did. Here. David said to the man, I don't want to free. I want to buy it. It's got to cost me something. And he did. You will not take it for free. See, our worship is not free, is it? It costs us something, isn't it? You get out of your house. You come here. You, sometimes we stay longer. You, you, you get a little hungry. You get a little tizzy. This summer we were like melting over here because it was so hot. It costs us something. We didn't give up. We kept going, didn't we? <laughs> and we found out the air condition was broken. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but anyway, worship that costs you nothing is not worship at all. Repentance that costs you nothing is not repentance at all. Your commitment to God is going to be costly to maintain. It may cost you relationships with some people, habits, that you have to get rid of it. There is always a price to pay when sin has been committed. If you want to be right with, with the Lord again. Let me, play this. Let me put it this way. When I got saved, I lost friends. I didn't win or lose them. They didn't want to they didn't, they walk away from me. Why? Because I was too holy. You know, I took too much about Jesus. Oh, like, yeah, that's my new, you know, friend that I found out. I just want to tell you about him. And they didn't want nothing to do with me, so they walk away. Was it hard? Of course it was. You got your friends, you got these people you talk all the time, and suddenly they walk away from you like they don't even know you? Of course it hurts. And you don't even have, a, you're just a new Christian, you don't have any friends at church. You just know these people that, that you go to church with, they sing, you know, they seem to be happy all the time, you know. And you got to learn to be happy with them. And you lost all your friends. It costs us something, folks. It does. See, David here, he said to this man, I don't want free, this free piece of land. I want to buy it. He got to cost me something. My God deserves something. You know what? Our worship, our worship to the Lord costs us something. It costs us our time, our talents, our efforts, 
our energy. That's why Mondays is like, oh, how many cups of tea do I need? Three, four, five. <laughs> I don't drink green tea on Monday morning. I drink black tea. <laughs> you know what? Because your mind is just empty. It's exhausted on Monday morning. But you know what? But you rejoice in the Lord, you know? It's not like, you know, I don't feel sorry for myself, you know? Then somebody sends me a song and a text message, and I'm singing the song all day long. So anyway, God is good. So, so I conclude with this. How does this message find you today? Are you saved, enjoying a close relationship with the Lord? Or are you uh, dealing with the problems of sin? Did you make a big mistake? I tell you what. You made a big mistake? So have I. Go to the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you. He will. Be willing to take the consequences. Just tell the Lord, whatever is the consequences, I'm willing to take it. Don't choose. Be like David. Lord, you're graceful and merciful. Whatever you want, I accept it. I'll tell you what. Life is full of surprises. And many times we find ourselves making huge mistakes. But we have a great God. The God of David is the same God that we worship. May we never forget that. We can have a wonderful relationship with the same God that David had. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the life of David. Lord, so much we learned from. Thank you for this book, Second Samuel. We finished this book tonight, Lord. It's been a great, great journey through this book. We've been in this book for several months, Lord. And next week, Lord, Lord willing, if we're still here, we'll be starting introduction in the book of First Kings. And Lord, I pray for everyone here tonight and those who are on social media tonight, Lord. We do make big mistakes, little mistakes, big mistakes, humongous mistakes. But Lord, we have a great God. Just like David, Lord, we can go to you and ask forgiveness and fall on your mercy, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.